Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. So, Bud, we're a little late in the week to be recording, but uh, so much time for a little vacation here and there for you and I. So, uh, slightly out of schedule, but uh, always happy and excited to be able to jump in on a uh, evening record. This got a couple listener questions, got some. Uh, I don't want to say clarity, but some continued ideas to what the Destin Hill situation is, and then maybe a commitment or two on the horizon. So. Uh, we'll thank our friends Tarpon Sellers, a uh, fantastic uh, wine partner that we've worked with in the past and are ever so excited to partner with again. Uh, literally 10 minutes ago, just uh, put in the coupon code NOLCAST, so uh, not all that confusing or complicated, NOLCAST for 20% off of a uh, couple orders of Cabernet that I ordered. Very excited to get those, and uh, we are equally excited to partner uh, with the good people at Tarpon Cellars, T-A-R-P-O-N-C-E-L-L-A-R-S.com. Give them a look. Great Noel fans, great supporters of the program and the podcast. Hi, man. Well, I guess we will start with the Mike Norvell statement on Destin Hill. So Destin Hill enrollment is delayed due to a personal matter with respect to his family's privacy. We are looking forward to him joining our program in the future. That's about as nonspecific as you can be. I'm going to read into this real quick. You do the same and uh, kind of tell me what you think here. Uh, he didn't say we, we hope uh, to have him join us. We just said we're looking forward to him joining. That kind of to me implies that it's, uh, it's still happening. Uh, he also said it was a personal matter. But that's kind of consistent with, you know, with, with what we've heard. I, I told you last week. Uh, that it was not grades or qualifying related. And as far as my sources knew, he wasn't being actively recruited by like anybody FSU recruits against. It would seem that FSU still thinks they're going to get him uh, on, on campus. As to when that happens, I'm not exactly sure. Yeah, it's a, it's a tricky situation, or at least it would appear to be. I think what we've said in the past couple of shows, while you know, being in, has had a little bit of ambiguity in it, has been accurate. I know that some people read into the, uh, I'm not signing a, but signing the grant and aid uh, made it think that maybe there were other programs in the equation or that Florida State had dropped the ball here. Far from it. Ultimately, I think the kid makes it to campus. Maybe a situation, I know he was particularly young for his class in this recruiting cycle. Maybe a situation where, I don't know if certain dates in the future provide clarity. He, I don't think he turns 18 until the end of July. Yeah. I mean, that might be something to look for from, from what I recall. Like that, he's, he was almost a full year younger than grade level. That's one of the reasons I liked him. I might just want to put this on our calendars and say that we circle back to it August 1st, see if there's been any clarity here, see if we've got an idea uh, as to what's going on. Ultimately, I think Hill uh, makes his way onto campus. I don't know that he will do so in a manner to be an immediate contributor, right? I mean, this is going to impact how ready he is. We're not even sure when he ultimately makes it. Uh, I think you can feel fairly confident that Destin Hill, you know, ultimately saying that he makes his way to a college campus and plays college football, that that'll be for Florida State. We just don't know when it'll be. So you're just going to have to sit back, kind of monitor the situation from afar and, you know, keep your eye tilted towards whoever it is that you have confidence in covering this program. And they'll probably have a pretty good idea as to what's going on in this situation. I, I, I agree with that. Um, that's really all I, I really have on this, right? I, I checked around. You heard anybody else still recruiting him? No. Sure. It's not a grades thing. 
yeah, kid's a good student from from people I trust. We'll see, uh, you know, when, when, when he enrolls. Uh, I will note that uh, over the weekend, I got to see Travis Hunter uh, in person quite a bit for the Cam Newton uh, Gold team. And uh, I was there with Josh Newberg on Sunday and Andrew Ivins was there uh, on on both days as well for 24-7 Sports. And I was also down at the Future 50 event, which uh, Hunter was not part of, but I, I don't that's not really any reflection on his talent. He was just playing seven on seven both days. And uh, I, I got to tell you, I was, I was very impressed. Um, you know, he's, he's one of the better prospects I've seen in, in my time doing this. Um, I, I was speaking with Brandon Huffman and Greg Biggins. And I was like, who was the last time, or when was the last time you had a kid who could, you know, arguably be the number one corner and the number one receiver in a given class. And the, the two that, that they really came up with were uh, Marquise Lee and Keenan Allen, who obviously one went to Cal, uh, one went to USC, and they both ended up having nice college careers and good NFL careers as well. So definitely a, a hit on those evaluations. But Huffman said, I mean, honestly, it was like, we'll put, we'll put one guy at number one receiver and the other guy at number one corner, and we could have easily flip-flopped him and, and had no problem with that evaluation. So I thought that was... a a pretty good one. Devontae Smith, honestly, I don't think he would have been the number one corner, but we knew, we did know he was a good corner coming out of high school as well as, as a very good receiver. He wasn't number one in, in either. Ended up having a great career you know, at, at Alabama. I will say Hunter is he's a really, really good seven-on-seven seven player. I mean, he's also a very good player in pads. There's no doubt. He's the number two player on the composite, number three on 24-7 sports. I mean, that's about as high as you can put a corner, <laughs> I think, right? Um, you know, the, like he, the guys he's behind in the rankings are Quinn Ewers, who everybody pretty much thinks is the generational quarterback, and I don't disagree. And Walter Nolan, who is a uh, six foot four, three hundred twenty pound defensive tackle, uh, who in the evening portion of Future Fifty, this is not padded, by the way. He went lined up against the best offensive tackle that we had at the entire event, who was, I think, undefeated on the day. And Walter Nolan, at 320 pounds, went out and played defensive end and smoked the kid three times. Kids committed to LSU. Like, very nice offensive tackle. Nolan hit him with, like, like a nice little rip. He hit, hit him with a swim to the outside with a speed move, and then he also hit him with a nice spin to the inside. It was... Uh, it was like, do you remember Chris Jones, kid from Mississippi side, Mississippi State? He, he kills it for the Chiefs now. It was like the first time I saw Chris Jones. Like, oh my God, this is, uh, this is pretty freaky. So for those asking, like, hey, why isn't Travis Hunter number one? I, he may end up number one, but now that I've seen all three guys in person, man, it's hard to pick, to be honest. Like, no, Nolan is, you don't see 320 pounds do that. You, you, hell, you don't, do, you don't see 275 pounds do that. Like, that's, that's crazy athleticism for that size. And I think they're both you know, extremely competitive, good makeup kids. Hunter is a dude who, he just loves to play ball, man. And you like guys who like football or who love football and who just, I bet you he's a competition junkie. Um, just somebody, you, you, you put you know put an Xbox controller in his hand, he, he wants to crush you in that. Put a ping pong paddle in his hand. You know, he, it's going to bother him if he loses in that. I mean, he, he, at one point, I think he had more interceptions than games played, which is not that easy to do in seven on. And uh, I had a coach, I was standing by, I was like telling his quarterback, 
I don't care if the guy looks open. Don't throw it over there. He's he's he's, he's not he's not open. Don't don't do it. Um, Hunter even caught a ball that I'm pretty sure was being thrown away to like kill the clock, and he ended up catching it back off a tip for for, for a touchdown. Uh, they would kind of put him in on offense when when they absolutely needed a score. Cam Newton didn't really have a quarterback at all. Like that that team, they couldn't throw the ball to save their life, and he was kind of the the cheat code on offense and uh, was was very rarely beaten. I think he allowed maybe two catches uh, that were not like just you know a one yard hitch or something like that all all weekend. And that's that's pretty good. The competition was not great. A lot of kids were out on official visits, but overall, still a, a very nice weekend by Travis Hunter. It's good to see him in person again. Yeah, always good to go ahead and you know satiate our Travis Hunter requirements early on in the. Uh, pod here and uh, always great to get a you know firsthand account of what you've seen of them so um yeah travis hunter special player and uh if he ends up the third overall recruit in the class behind the two guys that you mentioned yeah i can live with that uh so it's one of the all-time highest rated kids fsu would have ever signed by the way yeah i mean he's the highest i think he's the highest ranked quarterback of all time at this point uh, i believe i saw that over the weekend so um yeah ho-hum third in the country and um, as exciting as a prospect that's been associated with Florida State in a long, long time. Uh, so we're going to do it a little bit differently tonight. Going to go ahead and jump into the listener questions. Oh, I have a little more Hunter stuff. If, if, if you if you want if you want to go to it, oh, well, by all means. I mean that Travis Hunter wins the floor, but it is it is yours. And uh, Travis Hunter, uh, for the foreseeable future, will always win the floor. So I asked him because he's kind of the the guy like he was the best recruiter in for the class, and I don't think FSU would have Sam McCall without him. Uh, I said, hey, like, do you want to put on your recruiting coordinator hat and predict who's going to be the next couple of guys to commit to FSU? And he's like, no, I I don't want to ruin their moments, but we got some good guys coming. I was like, all right, well, had to ask. Um, I thought that was interesting. I also got to see Duffy uh, in person. Mm-hmm. Again, uh, that's the, I think the fourth time I've seen Duffy in the last couple of months. Uh, honestly, the Elite 11, which I named him the, the Alpha Dog. Somebody had to be Alpha Dog at the Elite 11, and nobody played well that day. Uh, or nobody played great that day, rather. I think Duffy has probably gotten better every time I've seen him. He's kind of grown on me. When I saw him at Elite 11, it was the first time I had seen the kid in person. I was like, really? This is the, okay. But, and he like ultimately he didn't get picked for lead eleven based on that. I think I think they did some further evals, maybe of, of some other stuff, and he ended up getting the invite. He was good at future fifty. I thought he delivered the ball. Uh, you know, he actually pushed it downfield. Some of his QBs check it down a whole lot, and he didn't really do that. He was pretty accurate and and drove the ball well. It, it's I'm, I'm gaining in confidence that, that FSU has, has a good QB uh, committed to them in Duffy. So I asked Duffy. I said, like, hey, you know, they're they're definitely not picked to win their division this year or probably finish second or third. You know, as somebody who's one of their main recruiters, and you know, he, you know, he said he was locked in, how do you go about selling a team if they don't have a great record? And he said, well, the guys I'm selling to, they're not on that team. Hmm. That's not going to be us, basically. It w- was, was his message. Right, right. Yeah, that's interesting. Wonder, I mean, uh, by all accounts, Duffy's a, a fairly bright kid, but you still wonder whether or not that's a uh, organic line or something that perhaps has otherwise been discussed. But yeah, no, I mean, that's what you play to, and these guys are 
uh, exceptionally confident and players fully believe that they are, uh, you know, the type of, of people that come in and are change agents for programs. So I'm sure that's a message that's uh, easy to be sold and easy to consume. But like everything, we certainly have a, you know, point of diminishing returns uh, as far as what the play on the field looks like and kind of how much that seed can get sown in other people's minds. But uh, for now, that's a that's a strong answer. Very much like it. You said you want more Hunter, by the way? I was going to say, not going to put words in Hunter's mouth, but uh, it is my understanding that he's a pretty big fan of one of our sponsors. So that's uh, always good to hear. He certainly is, uh, you know, had a meal or two at, at Madso, it sounds like, from his time in Tallahassee. Uh, yeah, I, I did ask him, had he been to Madso? And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, but been there a couple of times. So he was in Tallahassee for like a week, by the way, uh, hosting visitors and whatnot uh, last week. So. Uh, definitely somebody who seems to be pretty uh, pretty locked in. I I figured out what I like about him in person. By the way, like he he has good, legitimately good length. I mean, he's he's not one of these six footers who is actually like five ten. You know, um, he's got really good length, and I don't know what he runs track wise. I've no doubt he's fast, but to me, I, a lot of times these guys who have great length are not necessarily the best first step type dudes. They're they're more uh, I would call them builders, right? They're they're kind of more momentum runners because they're they're gaining momentum. They're they're getting faster each subsequent step. Uh, Hunter has kind of the rare thing, I think, where he has long long limbs, but he also like the first step quickness is really 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 good. Uh, you can see that in some of the clips that I was able to post. Interesting. I'm uh, I'm really excited to get out and see a couple games of uh, Travis's here once uh, high school football re- resumes and uh, yeah, just a really exciting prospect. So uh, first question of the night comes from traveling snowman. Great name. I believe that's a recent name change of uh, one of our patrons. Uh, he says, gentlemen, what are your thoughts on the Oklahoma offensive tackle Stacy Wilkins uh, FSU's chances to land him as well as upside uh, that he's shown as a player? Well, um, he really didn't do a whole lot for Oklahoma, right? And, and unless I'm missing something here, um, like he wasn't an impact guy for them. He was a highly rated recruit. I, I asked around about this, and I got to tell you, man, the response I got was not like that FSU was going to be all in on him at all. I didn't really get a whole lot of uh, elaboration on that. I'm just going to, my guess here is that there's more stuff to that situation than we know about. Typically, like FSU has been kicking. They, I know that they do their research on pretty much everybody who jumps into the camp. Um, or excuse me, who, who jump, jumps into the portal, rather. Uh, but at the same time, oftentimes they find out stuff that maybe they don't don't love, either about the player or about the fit or both. And I, or maybe they just find out that the kid's going somewhere else and they don't need to waste their time. Uh, I had a coach one time tell me, I'm not, I'm not going to practice recruiting. Right. Once he figured out which uh, which trainer guy was hooked up with, and then what school that trainer sends guys to, I don't think they're going to go after him that hard. Maybe I'll be wrong on that. I may look stupid if he, if he commits tomorrow or something like that. But I, the word I got back was that eh, kind of lukewarm at best. It'll be interesting. I mean, it certainly, by all accounts, it appears as though uh, Florida State has has set up a, his first visit uh, that. You know, there certainly seems to be some level of interest. Now, we'll have to see whether or not that absolutely comes to fruition. Don't know that I had received maybe as as much clarity as you had on the subject, but I had heard word that it was not 
you know, like if this kid comes and doesn't commit, they may still have hopes for other offensive linemen or something like that. So uh, we'll just have to see what it looks like. I know everybody's super eager uh, to find somebody. And when you look at who he was as a high school prospect, you look at the program that he's there with, you look at the length, you look at a kid that he's very much a true tackle. I'll put it that way. Um, that it immediately kind of satiates a lot of these surface level things that we as a fan base are looking for. Uh, this one will be interesting. This one will be interesting to see how this plays out and how much, uh, you know, if, if there is a real aggressive pursuit of this kid, because uh, he certainly, um, I hate that this expression has, uh, has become as popular as it has, but certainly checks some of the boxes when you look at for what Florida State may be using on their final, uh, final scholarship or, or final roster spot, rather, uh, with, a, with a kid in the portal. Keep in mind that I believe the final date to jump into the portal is July 1, if you want to be eligible this fall. So I think a lot of programs, I doubt they're in a huge rush to go take just anybody right now. Uh, they're probably going to wait to see who all jumps in in the next two weeks and then make a final decision on that scholarship uh, for this fall if they do intend to use it. We'll see how that goes. All right, so while we're not really sure about, about the Stacey Wilkins situation, we have our doubts. One thing I have no doubt about is the loan you're going to get from the Legendary Home Loans team, man. Legendary team is awesome. I was actually wearing their shirt today as I took my son to swim lessons this afternoon. Really, really cool. Honestly, you guys don't care about the shirt as much as you care about the loan. So what do you get, what, what do you get with, with your home loan from the Legendary team? Tremendous customer service from Shannon and Chad who have supported us through the years just to an incredible amount. And you guys have been super loyal to them. I think we're at, what, 160 plus loans now in just a little over three years through the Legendary team. Just, just an awesome group of guys who want to work for you, get you awesome rates, great customer service, personal experience. You, know, you give them a call, 844-FSU-LOAN. You get a little uh, little null chat as well. They're die- about as diehard. If you see the group text, they're about as diehard as anybody out there. And they, they, they feel y'all's pain with the losses, but they want to make sure you have a great home loan experience or refi. I did both my home loan and my refi through them can say it was an absolutely awesome experience. And uh, several of my friends have as well. And they they absolutely loved it. So getting a home loan can be stressful. I, I think they do a nice job uh, of taking a lot of the stress out of there, putting you at ease and giving you a great experience. So 844-FSU-LOAN. Tell me say. Uh, Craig. Uh, Craig has a question. Longtime listener of the show. He writes, uh, why is it that FSU continues to under, underperform uh, relative to recruiting rankings. Of course, FSU hasn't recruited the level that it should expect to over the past couple of years. Uh, firing coach in the early signing period and a lot of roster turnover, coupling that with the scheduling quote for paychecks rather than record of recruiting. Just appears to me that looking at the past four or five years, the performance is underwhelming compared to, say, Pitt, who regularly recruits in the 30-plus category or West Virginia, 35 to 45 range. I uh, love the show. Like Louisiana Hot Sauce in bulk gets better with age. Uh, the show continues to get better in the ups and downs of the program we love. Sometimes people post a lot of like or pose a lot of reasons in their question, and I'm like, this is totally not it. But ultimately, I think Craig just nailed this in his question to us, dude. Craig, you got it. If you have, you know, three head coaches in a four-year span in the early signing period era, your roster is going to be cooked. You don't have any continuity of development. You got guys that have had a different position coach every year of their career. You know, Pitt has at least had like they're not a good, they're not a great team, but they're not terrible. They've they've kind of stuck to a plan, and 
developed their kids and, and done their thing. They're not going to win a national title or conference title, but they can, they can have some nice years. If Pitt was going through what FSU was going through, and they had three head coaches in five years, and they had players who expected to you know, be good players, so they're looking to transfer out anytime their path to the NFL doesn't immediately or doesn't totally stay on track. Pitt could go, what, 2-10? and 10? One and eleven, I, I think that he really explained it pretty well. And I mean, I would add, FSU has has had the worst. I don't know if it's the worst timing. Is there is there a school with with the worst timing here, as far as hiring over the last three years? Because they they hired a new coach in the COVID year, and they hired a new coach in the first year of the early signing period. Following a year in which their head coach quit mm, Yeah, well that that is a that's a hard parlay <laughs> to beat, man. Like like the, the last qualifier you threw in there is gonna be hard to even I mean, I think Arkansas's had similar turnover. Arkansas's a good one. I would agree. Uh, but no yeah, there's there was <laughs> a unique special ingredient thrown uh, right there at the end that certainly makes this different. But yeah, yeah, no. I mean of of Florida State's elk, uh, even without that uh part of it, they've they've certainly, you know, gone about I don't want to say shooting themselves in the foot, but certainly making this process as hard as they possibly could. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, Arkansas also doesn't have the expectations that FSU has, you know, has, which I think magnifies FSU struggles. And we'll, we'll see how good Arkansas is this year. I, I, I kind of wonder if they don't... Uh, I don't know how sustainable what they did last year uh, as far as SEC winning percentage really was. Well, I guess we'll see. But I, I think Craig nailed it. Um, if FSU continues to recruit better and they have some continuity of coaching staff and they give a guy four or five years, which we've gone over this a million times, they didn't do with Willie. I think there are appropriate reasons why they didn't, you know. But even if you have the right reasons for firing somebody, it doesn't mean you get, you get to skirt the consequences of your choice. And it was a choice. All right, next question comes from Mark. Mark asks, can you discuss the Arizona State situation? Oh, yes. Uh, how common was stuff like this elsewhere? Are you worried about Florida State doing or have uh, either have done or doing this currently? Well, I, so based, the baseline on the Arizona State situation, as reported by, I think, The Athletic and Yahoo, uh, definitely want to give them credit. Arizona State was allegedly hosting like close to 50 kids on visits during COVID, which was a dead period. The last couple of coaches I can remember who got hit with dead period violations where they either brought kids on campus or met with kids, maybe got photographed in a restaurant with, with the kid during a dead period or you know, maybe visited multiple dead kids during the dead period out of state. They got fired or resigned pretty quickly. So this is a, a pretty major deal to have people on campus and have them in your football facilities and taking pictures with staffers and basically just carry on, allegedly, of course, like there was no dead <laughs> going on. Uh, pretty brazen. And that's going to be a stiff penalty if the NCAA follows through on it and, and if, if they can prove it. But allegedly, there's a, a, a dossier. Can I, I say that right? A dossier of, uh, of evidence? And according to the Yahoo story, there are so many former disgruntled staffers who thought that things were being run in the wrong way. And... Uh, you know, kind of sloppily, that they saved all these screenshots and files to basically protect themselves if the the house of cards came down. It's funny you mentioned that. I, I talked to a friend of mine in the in the college ranks today, 
<clears throat> and he said uh, almost that exactly is that, uh, you know, there's, it's a staff that's made up of a lot of former NFL guys and then some real aggressive recruiters. And there, there weren't enough, there wasn't enough structure, feedback, pushback for whatever reason uh, to, you know, look, everybody, everybody speeds, everybody's creative, everybody's aggressive with how they may pursue a kid or two or six. Uh, but you, you know, there's certainly a critical mass there uh, to which numbers grow to a point to where you're flying too close to the sun, you're going to get caught. Repercussions are going to be what they are. And I do, it's, it's interesting that you said that. I, I don't want to say, well, I just think there's some different mentalities there and some guys who weren't maybe as familiar with the college game and should have been a little bit more respectful with, uh, with how you go about making the sausage, so to say. Uh, the problem I have with them claiming, uh, and I'm, I'm going to tie this back to hip issue in a second, promise. The problem I have with them claiming like ignorance of the rules, if that's what's claimed, is that clearly their actions uh, were, alleged actions, of course, were made in such a fashion as to hide what they were doing. Like they knew it wasn't allowed. Uh, they only used the back staircase to bring kids in. They only brought kids in allegedly like after 9 p.m. When, compli- when the compliance staff had gone home. Yeah, this, this was just dumb, like extremely sloppy. But I, I think we're getting back to the same thing. You can do that with maybe six kids. You can't do that with 48 <laughs> right. kids. Or You know what I'm saying? Like you, According to the Yahoo article, so many that it wasn't even worth shutting off the cameras because right. they were coming in all the time. <laughs> <laughs> who, who was in FSU's locker room? Do you remember this? Because like, I know some other programs asked around about that. What, was, it, was it McCall, I think? who was in the locker room and, and he was on social media with, might have been Brendan Gant. Now, here's the deal. Are you supposed to have, like, for COVID reasons, are you supposed to, are, are you supposed to have, like, non-people who are not from your facility in? Maybe not a great thing. Is it a violation if it's not a coach, if, he's, if it's a friend from your same high school who's coming up to see you and you let him in your building? No. So, ultimately, I think that the schools that were, were griping about that probably got told to pound sand. Right, I I cannot tell you that no school did this to some extent as far as hosting kids on visits, but I would probably bet that there were not other schools doing the exact same thing to the exact same extent and as sloppy as this apparently was. Uh, by the way, the athletic article tonight uh, from Bruce Feldman said that they were actually uh, they were paying for kids to take uh, allegedly here paying for kids to take trips to their bowl game in 2018 as well. Which is like, again, if you're going to do this, go meet at a hotel or something like that. Maybe take one or two kids in the building. That way you can lie about it and say, oh, this is so-and-so's you know, brother. He's not a recruit, whatever. You know, I mean, we're just showing him around. He's wearing a mask. Well, yeah, and I think that to the, to the point that the guy that I was talking to, uh, you know, I think everybody knew what they were doing was, was uh, <clears throat> you know, not something that you could officially put on the books. Uh, but also, you know, there's ways to do that and kind of be uh, respectful about it. And, uh, and, and they necessarily weren't, you know, there, there's, you can get into the college game and, and a lot of these guys have been in college previously. So I don't want to make it too much like that, but you can get into the college game. You realize that, Hey, uh, everybody pursues offensive tackles and defensive tackles really great. You know, like you can acknowledge what's out there, uh, but you still have to operate somewhat within the general structure as to how this whole 
um, interesting situation exists currently. And uh, they evidently were, were not. So that'll be fun to see what the ultimate, uh, you know, the ultimate repercussions of uh, such actions are. I will tell you that uh, with the creative ways that FSU was going about trying to communicate with recruits to stay inside the rules that the NCAA had laid down for the dead period and the COVID contact rules, I'm pretty sure they were not doing this. Not in their building 24 hours a day, but like they were constantly, you know, like talking about how they had to find solutions to be better at Zoom and communicate better. You know, send more graphics, all, all those kind of things uh, to to kids because they couldn't see them in person. They couldn't bring them on campus, right? And hell, like remember the NCAA handed down the uh, the guidance that said you can't even have kids on your campus, no contact face to face with them, and then have them walk around FaceTiming you on the phone as they go f- from landmark to landmark, which is totally socially distanced, by the way, for people who are concerned about that. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I, I just I don't think this to the to Mark's question. I just don't think it was that common elsewhere. I really don't. And no, I I, I don't think FSU was doing that. I also don't think FSU's compliance staff, by the way, is a staff that would play nicely with that. They don't really have a reputation of being like super rule bendy. Yeah. No, no, they don't. And that's that's good. That's what you want out of comp- compliance office. But uh, no, I don't. I don't think you'd have a wink, wink, nod, nod. The building be cleared out at nine, and nobody asking any questions. So, uh, fun story there. Fun story. So, do you think Herm Edwards is coaching by by uh, media day, which is in six weeks? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think uh, no. I, I think this this is some of the strange stuff that is kind of immediately fireable, and uh, I don't think the you know I I think the backlash from this will be uh, fairly quick and will be fairly clear as to where this is going. So I would be surprised if he makes it uh, certainly to game one, but I would expect perhaps that to end even quicker. So before we get to the next question here, we will thank our friends at Congruity. CongruityHR.com is where you can find them on the web. Uh, just fantastic people who provide kind of a um, the, the service that you hope for in a small business and then have all the uh, resources and capital behind them uh, to implement some of the you know changes that are necessary or uh, to help you be on the cutting edge with uh, whatever it may be to make you as uh, competitive uh, a business possible. Congruity's been fantastic for us, been fantastic uh, for a couple of the different entities that fall underneath the For the Table Restaurant group, uh, our friend Jonathan over at Select Shades, uh, just great people who can uh, provide you with all that it is to enhance your brand, save time, save money, and reduce general business risk. Uh, Matt can be reached at 844-247-4100 or Knowles, N-O-L-E-S, at congruityhr.com. So you could say congruity is kind of... Have you been following the baseball stuff with all these guys who, for years and years, they uh, they, they use rosin and sunscreen? And, and it was they fine. Were, uh, receiving, uh, you know small uh, small business service as far as how to get a, a little bit of a better grip on the ball and everything else. Yes, I am familiar with... Uh, and now they're using spider tech, which is like, uh, if you've seen the Trevor Bauer video where he like holds his hand out flat and the ball sticks to his hand against the laws of gravity. I'm not going to get into this. I, I actually think that this is like a brilliant labor negotiation tactic on behalf of the owners to paint the players as villains that literally the final season before the CBA deal is up. But congruity is basically spider tack for your business. If you really want to up your spend rate of your business, I think it's congruity all the, all the way. 
Oh, you're brilliant, bud. Well done. Oh, Except that it's well not cheating. It is not cheating. It's, it's, it's no, legal. No, it is yeah. <laughs> fully greenlit. My lord, what an ad read. Yeah. If what you've been doing is rosin and sunscreen, that congruity uh-huh. is spider tech. Yeah, well done, sir. Oh, we got a uniform question here. Austin. I love it. I love it. We got a uniform question. Austin buzzes in. How do you guys feel about our uniforms? What would you change if you had the power to do so? For me, I really miss the double garnet stripe on the white pants from back in the day. So I'll go first, bud. I think Florida State's uniforms, as are, are pretty solid. What I would do is the fire uh, branding or stripe, whatever you want to call it. Two of them is one too many. And I would take off the uh, the shoulder patch there and just leave it be. I mean, I, I certainly wish that we would go back to kind of the 2012 uh, garnet uniforms. I think the white ones, even with the traditional garnet, uh, excuse me, the traditional gold helmet are fantastic. Uh, the all white uniforms that were seen in some of the recent visitor pictures, I'm all for. Uh, but I think the I think the uniform's nice. I think it's too busy. Uh, with the two different kind of, uh, uh, you know, seminal fire lettering or whatever that is uh, exactly. And I would, uh, s- you know, streamline it a little bit and then leave it be for a second. All right. Since, since I'm the hater on this podcast, uh, I, I think uh, I will, uh, uh, I, I'll, I'll take the bullet on this one. I, I love FSU's helmet. I think it's really awesome. I kind of miss the the more like metallic gold color of, of, of the, the helmet that I feel like it used to have. But that could all just also just be the, the way that it looks in, in the new LED lights. We really don't have a sample set of the old school helmet uh, under the new, the new stadium lights that, that most of these, these you know, programs have now. I still don't love our shade of garnet, do you? No, I don't. I, I don't love... I would go back to the 2012 garnet coloring. I, I think that's brilliant. I mean... Or 2013, I guess, and and maybe it's just because of associations I have <laughs> with those years. Uh, you know, 2012, 2013, pretty decent teams fielded in retrospect. Uh, but no, I mean, I think I look at the, you know, some of the pictures of, of James Wilder Jr. and I look at some of the, uh, you know, pictures from the Auburn game, and I just uh, think that those that that was a, a brilliant look, and I wish Florida State wouldn't have gone away with it. I love the helmet as well. Uh, whether it be Florida State marries themselves to Nike for the next hundred years, or if Adidas gets involved, you know, if anybody ever comes up with a strategy about some interlocking seminal loop again, no, just you're out of the conversation and you don't get to part be a part of this project anymore. I would leave the helmets uh, more or less as they are. Maybe break out a white one every once in a while. Um, I know I've gone on a lot about this, but the alternate darks, the the black ones, I really don't ever need to see that again, bud. I don't think it's a... I agree. Black is not an issue color. It's not a Florida State color. It, it doesn't look like a Florida State uniform. Um, I don't know that we never, ever need to wear those. And I don't know that they're all that cool either. I mean, maybe kids love them. I don't really get the feel for that, though, when you look at uh, some of these recruiting pictures and stuff. I don't... I don't think you ever need to see it. The white ones, I love the all white. I think it's brilliant. Florida State's traditional uh, uniform, uh, you know, home coloring is is as uh, brilliant as anything as there is in the sport. Um, so I do wish they'd tone it down a little bit, uh, you know, remove some of that fire, whatever the hell that official term is. Um, and, you know, we'll see. Uh, the uniform's a little bit of a work in progress. Dude, so I have uh, I, I have the US Open on because it got delayed o- over my shoulder here, or excuse me, o- over the monitors here. Speaking of Nike screwing up stuff that involved garnet and and white and gold, so 
Rory's cleats, I have my TV on night mode, so, so, so I don't have the blue light. So maybe the shades are off here, but Rory uh, McElroy is wearing what looks like white cleats with a, 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 you know, the garnet Nike check or swoosh. And uh, his right cleat just totally slipped out from under him and he, and he just hit a drive like 50 yards left. So uh, Nike continues to screw up stuff recently that involves garnet gold. All right. I didn't, uh, that's a, that's the truth. That's, that is the absolute truth. So uh, we'll move on to a little, what certainly appears to be a impending commitment uh, from a linebacker out of South Florida. Uh, Omar Graham looks like he's kind of cleared his visits up. Uh, I don't think, you know, we're certainly not the first ones to talk about this. It would appear as though uh, a commitment from one Mr. Graham is is rather imminent at this point. Yeah, I, I know Chris Nee increased his crystal ball confidence to 10, and, and Chris is normally pretty, uh, uh, you know, pretty conservative with that. And I, I think Omar Graham is a good player. When I watched him, I thought, I don't know, 80, 85, like a mid-level three-star type player. Uh, now, he, I will tell you some things, checking on this, that FSU likes about him quite a bit. Um, so he's a very smart kid, both in the classroom, also on the field. They feel like they need to increase the, the, uh, the intelligence of that linebacker room, to be frank. Like more guys who actually understand the game of football and who are, are generally smart kids. If Graham, if you take three linebackers and Graham is the three, I think that's a hell of a linebacker class. If you take, if you take three linebackers and Graham is your one, I think you have problems. Does that make sense? Like he, he's a very productive guy. It's an interesting build. He's not like chubby, but he's definitely not like super cut. He actually moves a little bit better than you would think he would just based on the body type. He's a good player, but uh, like he's not somebody who I think is wildly underrated or something like that. I think, I think his mid level three star uh, grade is, is mostly correct. Straight ahead. I love him though. Yeah, when I watch him, I see a I see a good three star prospect um, who has potential and certainly would be uh, reasonably excited to get. But like you said, if this is your headliner in the linebacker class, uh, you have problems. If this is a solid addition to the room, then this is a, a decent pickup. Uh, I always feel a little bit uncomfortable talking about this, but in this instance, I will because it's on the positive. I don't claim to know Graham's, you know, full transcript or anything else. But like when you say he's a smart player, I think he's, uh, I think he may like be valedictorian of his class type smart. Like the guy's really, really bright. Uh, so that, uh, you know, maybe, maybe not, maybe he finishes top five, whatever. He's exceptionally, exceptionally smart. And uh, if that's something that you're looking to add to the room and, and that's uh, something that you think he could bring, then yeah, you know, that's a, uh, that's a kid that I can get on board with, and and hopefully he's just a another piece of the class, and not necessarily your headliner at the position. I will say his if you watch his film, the the highlights are are pretty good. He's he's good pursuing downhill. He's not afraid to hit guys. My my real question is: this is such a space game nowadays, and you've got to be able to cover in space. And, and I do have some questions about that, but I think you can uh, probably address those questions by taking a good uh, a good like basket of different types of bodies and skill sets at the linebacker position because you're probably not going to get a whole bunch of five stars who can do it you know who can all do everything 
Uh, if you do want every, somebody that can do everything, you go to Madison Social. Great people. Uh, I, you know, us talking about a Ruben on the 17th <laughs> for a podcast that's going to be published on the 18th. It's probably not the best marketing uh, that Matt would ask for, but always just put that in people's back of your mind. If you're in Tallahassee and you see it in the middle of the month, uh, make a make an effort to get over there for Ruben Day. Uh, Madison Social Township, just two staples of, uh, of being a Florida State athletic supporter. And then uh, we'll continue to bring you more information about Charlie Park. Really excited about That's that. That's going to be and, awesome. Uh, you know, if you <laughs> if you've seen some of the hotel prices for the Notre Dame game, uh, it's going to be steep. But you know, stash away a couple extra bucks to go over there, have a cocktail. It'll be a fantastic, fantastic addition. All right, a couple more things for tonight's show. By the way, we always like. I wonder if we have enough enough material for a show, and then we end up doing an hour and a half. Tonight will probably not be an hour and a half, but I think it's some interesting stuff. So one thing I'm always interested in is sort of looking uh, looking at, at, at the race for how many commits are going to happen, both for FSU, but also nationally. And I wrote a story today on 247sports.com uh, about uh, how many commitments there had been in June. And I, I threw out last year because I feel like with the COVID year, that's not a normal representative sample. You could argue this year is not a, not a representative sample either, and I wouldn't really push back on that all that much. But I'm, I'm trying to compare, you know, at least apples to another fruit, right? Not apples to like a totally different food group. And uh, so what I found Ingram, is that normally we have about 630 kids commit for the you know, the current class in the month of June, and uh, so far we are only pacing to about 240. As of like midday today, so that's uh, that's you know less than half. Hell, actually, uh, quite a bit less than half. It's like forty percent of normal, and I think that is uh, probably for a couple of reasons. Number one, kids who have decided to wait this long, they're probably okay waiting a couple more weeks to see more places, make sure that they're going to make the right decision. Number two, a lot of these schools are waiting to see just how many spots everybody else has and quality of player they're going to take. I was speaking to a director of player personnel today who's in an FCS school, and it's a good FCS school, right? an FCS school that normally has a chance to pick off a kid from like a New Mexico or you know a Texas State or like an FIU. You know what I mean? He was like, dude, we're going to get power five quality kids this year. I was like, really? It's like, yeah. Yeah, like there's going to be so many fewer scholarships going around to high school kids at the power five and FCS level or FBS level, so like the D1 level, we're going to have a whole lot of kids dropping down to us. So I've been talking about this trickle-down effect. Shoot, I don't know. I, we're, we're not first on everything, but I do feel like we've been first on, on, on this for I mean, probably lap field on, on talking about this phenomena since, what, March, February? I think FSU has a chance to have a top 10 class. They can go 6-6. Six and six. They'd be the first team ever to do so, to be 6-6 six and six with the top 10 class. And uh, I think the way they get there is by signing more kids in that sort of 200 to 450 range, you know, nationally. And I had said this on the Knowles 24 7 message board, and somebody said, well, that, don't they normally do that anyway? And you would think so, but I went back and looked, and in the two classes Mike Norvell has signed, which in fairness are probably not the best representative sample, but it's what they've been doing recently, two thirds of their high school signees have actually not been in the top 450. So if you go from like having a third of your class in the top 450 to maybe two-thirds or 75% of it in the top 450-ish, 
that's a hell of a job of, of a turnaround. I don't think they're going to make a whole lot of hay with top 100 kids this year. But if they get kids, you know, 250, 275, three and a quarter, 425, 475, those are better quality players than the guys ranked in the 800s. And honestly, there's some data that shows there's very little difference between kids rated like two and a quarter to four and a quarter, hmm. by the way. No, you're, you're right. We've certainly been talking about the uh, trickle-down economics uh, theory of the recruiting world for quite some time. And uh, that gives some real good perspective uh, because I, I've, in the back of my mind, I, I've always wondered what Florida State's kind of done uh, historically. And as data becomes more available, I'm, I am fascinated to see what you find kind of in that region. I, you know, there's, there's certainly maybe 10 to 16 kids that are the super elite each year. And then you have another hundred that are really nice prospect and guys that you know are going to have a decent batting average as far as turning into college players. And then uh, fascinated to see kind of what the, uh, you know, precipitous fall off looks like from that. And, uh, you know, I, I just ask that you keep that in the back of your mind and continue to uh, bring that up as we kind of get a better idea historically as to uh, where talent can be found and kind of how it plays out in the larger size of the class. But uh, no, that's really good information and gives some decent perspective as to, you know, what Florida State might be able to do and, and take advantage of this unique year. By the way, uh, I don't know if you saw this or not. Uh, Antavius Woody, the offensive tackle prospect from uh, from Lafayette, Alabama that we've discussed on this podcast several times. Uh, Rival shot his ranking up like crazy, apparently, in the last couple of days uh, on, yeah, 6-8. So, Late last week, they they now have him as the the number one hundred and four player in the country, mm, mm-hmm. which is interesting. I, I I know Rivals has lost some people, but they still have some decent guys over there. I you know I I've said if he qualifies because there's work to be done there. I was told that you know he's a good player and certainly somebody that FSU feels they would have a real good shot at because they've been showing him love the entire time, right? And whereas other schools maybe kind of Kind of scared off, but uh, I am interested to see what his recruitment does now that you have one of these services rate him that highly. Um, I we have him at twenty four seven, you know, lower than that, probably in some part due to the uncertainty, right? Also, I don't know that we've seen him in person, so. Um, but I, I think he's a, he's a heck of a heck, like a really heck of a football player. If, if he qualifies, that could be a big get for the Knowles there. One final thing that we don't have on the on the sheet, bud, but that I do feel like we should just touch base on real quickly is the frequency and continuity with which you continue to get the Elijah Pritchett kid on, on campus. I don't, you know, I'm not saying that this is, uh, you know, Florida state's the, the leader here, but you know, visits matter, follow the visits, wherever you want to label it. Florida state continues to get a kid on campus and, uh, by all accounts continues to create a really legitimate relationship that, uh, you know, I talked about about a month ago. I'm not guaranteeing Florida State gets this kid or anything, but this might be the type of situation where Florida State can sign a kid where they're battling kind of the Georgias and Alabamas of the world. I'm not, again, I'm not saying it's a done deal, far from it, but that certainly continues to trend positively for Florida State. Yeah, I mean, look, you, you follow the visits, you follow the communication, and sometimes things just break your way. Kids do oftentimes sense how much love they're being given. And sometimes they do pick the place that is showing them the like the most, hey, we really need you, right? And 
sometimes they, they don't. FSU is in a weird situation here, too. I, I want to talk about this for a second, if you're cool with extending the pod a couple more minutes. Totally against it, but contractually, <laughs> contractually, we have to end it, yeah, uh, by all and means. FSU is a school this year who is able to pitch playing time at a lot of spots. And if you go to their camp and you see who's doing their, their counselor stuff for a lot of these positions, you're like, oh, man. Like uh, Danny Cannell asked me on, on cover three, how do you separate your optimism for the recruiting from the pessimism you seem to have for the, uh, for the team this year? I said, well, go to the camp, right? The kids they have in camp are pretty impressive. The current players who are working as counselors in many cases are not. And the kids in the camp, recruit-wise, are not on the field this fall. The camp counselors who are players are. That's how I separate it. They can offer a lot of playing time to kids because the current players they have on their roster aren't very talented in many cases or haven't been developed or just aren't good. But you got to be careful in doing that. You really can't. Like, Do you want an entire roster of guys who are coming just because of early playing time? You do want dudes who are going to want to fight for their spots. That's not to say that all, everybody who, who cares about early playing time is unwilling to fight for that, for that early playing time, but it's just something I had a conversation with somebody about. And I said, you know, you got to be careful with that because otherwise you get a lot of guys who come in expecting something to be handed to them and they don't want to work for it. And the guy said, well, Norvell's all about that work. It's, it's, it's one of his, his catchphrase slogans. It is just something you got to be mindful of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you want to use it selectively. It's a, it's an, an ingredient you only want to introduce into the, uh, the recipe that you try to get a kid, but occasionally you can hang that out. And if you think you've got a chance to get a really uh, elite offense tackle or a defensive tackle, which you, you know, otherwise aren't quite prepared to swim in those waters, then, you know, maybe you do it. Maybe you think that the pineapple principle or whatever, that the juice is worth the squeeze. Uh, Yeah. We'll have to see, but no, you're right. I mean, you've got to balance a roster and um, you know, maybe a couple of times a year you can really play that card and, lean on it pretty heavily when you're trying to go up against some of these other, you know, current powers on the recruiting trail. Absolutely, man. There's no doubt about it. Hey, we had enough stuff for a show. All right. <laughs> show 891 or well, 1,189, whatever it may be in the books. And uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. We were, we were not light on. <laughs> oh gosh. All right. Well, uh, we, I will see you what, early next week. We, we may do two next week. We'll see. All right, folks, as always, thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, if you have a chance to give us a five-star review, whether it be iTunes or wherever it may be that you find us on the uh, interwebs, we certainly appreciate it. Uh, you know, it's as simple as a, as a like and a tweet, if that's something that uh, you're more comfortable or able to do. Whatever you can do to support the show, know that it's greatly appreciated uh, by Bud and myself. And uh, this has been the Nolcast, and we'll be back with you first of next week. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith, music by Judson Wright, and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles.